0: And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. The second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. the mind of the Christian, there is perhaps not a more horrible thought than in the face of persecution, he might deny his beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all most likely mentally placed ourselves in similar situations that many faithful martyrs did face as they were persecuted and as they suffered and offered their lives for the cause of Christ. And we have wondered if we were in the same situation or should we be in the same situation in the future, what would we do? Well, none of us can know for sure how we will face such a situation should we be presented with it. However, all those who have been redeemed by Christ and have looked in faith to Christ alone as their righteousness, all those do hope and pray that they would do nothing at such a time so as to bring shame upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or upon His cause or truth. We've all likely experienced at one time or another some shame in situations where Christ and His truth were being publicly slandered and maligned and felt that we denied the Lord in some way in that situation by our cowardly silence due to the fear of men. Well, dear ones, we have recorded for us in the pages of Scripture the example of Peter who faced the same situation, and denied the Lord. Not by a silence, but verbally denied the Lord and even that three times. Through the fall of Peter, may we learn what led Peter into this sin and how we might avoid it. And may we learn how great is the persevering grace that God bestows upon sinners who trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation, even when they have denied their blessed Savior. Let us consider the following main points from our text this Lord's Day. First of all, the occasion to deny Christ. Mark 14 verse 66. Secondly, the sin of denying Christ. In Mark 14, verses 67 through 71. And thirdly, the grace to persevere after denying Christ. In Mark 14, verse 72. First then, the occasion to deny Christ. Mark 14, verse 66, where it says, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. What we want to consider under this point is what brought Peter to this point where he was in the palace, where he was tempted by these who made accusations about him, or made certain charges about him or certain statements about him and his relationship to Christ. And what was it that led Peter to be placed in this very situation where he denied Christ? Well, as we consider the denial of Peter, Let us observe some of the circumstances leading up to it and surrounding it. First of all, you recall after the disciples fled and deserted Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 1450, it would appear that Peter and one of the disciples of Christ, who may have been John himself, the apostle John, followed the Lord to the palace of the high priest, where Christ appeared first before Annas, the former high priest, and then appeared before Caiaphas, the present high priest. This is made clear in John 18:15. This other disciple that is spoken of here, this other disciple of Christ that followed along with Peter was said to be known by the high priest and used his influence to grant to Peter entrance into the palace or into the courtyard of the palace in John 18, 16. And so Peter finds himself in this situation because he has gained access through this other disciple. Secondly, it would appear that the first denial by Peter was during the trial before Annas. If we look at John 18.13 and then compare that with verses 17 and 18, it would appear that this first denial was while Jesus was in the first stage of his trial before the, the religious leaders of Israel. Then it would appear that the second and third denials by Peter were uttered while Christ appeared before Caiaphas. Having been transferred from Annas to Caiaphas, which was probably all in the same palace, simply a matter of moving to another part of the building, Peter at that particular time then was approached with the temptation to deny Christ the second and third time and fell into the sin both times. It would appear that only John's gospel allows us to see the relationship of the denials of Peter to the trials of Christ. In the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it gives the trial before Caiaphas, and then consecutively after that trial is recorded, then consecutively all three denials follow in succession, not giving us a clear indication as when they occurred as far as in relationship to the trials of Christ. Finally, under this first main point, I would have you note what was the occasion for Peter's denial of Christ. In other words, what was it that led Peter to deny Christ? Let me give to you the following four matters to consider that led Peter into this very situation. So that we may learn from Peter's example how to avoid placing ourselves in a similar situation. As was Peter. First of all, I would suggest it was Peter's pride, Peter's pride that led him to this very place where he denied Christ. In Mark 14, verse 29, you'll recall that the Lord prophesied to Peter at the time of the Last Supper that such would be the case. It says there, But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise likewise also said they all. Peter did not view himself as vulnerable to such a fall. Dear ones, we must never look upon ourselves as beyond falling into this sin of denying Christ or any heinous sin for that matter. Rather, we should be humbled that that we are capable of doing so but that it is the grace of God alone that restrains us and sustains us when tempted with such sins. A second sin that I would submit to you that led Peter into this very denial of Christ was unbelief. In the very same passage that I just read, Christ prophesied that that was what was to happen, that he would deny the Lord three times. Does Peter humble himself at that point? Does Peter say, Lord, what you say must be true? Or does he deny it? Does he practice or exercise unbelief? Certainly he does. He says, that could never happen, Lord. Even after Christ, who cannot lie, prophesied that Peter would deny him three times. Peter did not believe the very word of God. And dear ones, when we do not receive the word of God by faith, but reject it because it is not to our liking, or because it is hard to receive, or because it humbles us instead of exalting us, we will foolishly walk into the trap of the enemy, completely defenseless. And without the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. A third sin that led to Peter's denying the Lord was his prayerlessness. You remember in the garden of Gethsemane that the Lord brought the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, along into the garden to pray with him. To watch and pray, the Lord said, that ye enter not into temptation. The Lord, knowing the very temptation into which they would be brought, even encourages them before this temptation to spend time in prayer. But due to their sleepiness, they fall asleep each time that the Lord comes back. The sleepiness of the disciples, dear ones, is an outward picture of the prayerlessness of their hearts. For when we do not spend time with the Lord in prayer, we are like those who are asleep when it comes to the traps of the enemy. We do not see them coming. They catch us completely by surprise. We're not ready. We're like those who are walking, as it were, in their sleep when we are not ready by way of a prayerful attitude. For it is by means of prayer, dear ones, that we become watchful and vigilant in regard to the temptations of the enemy. It is by means of prayer that our eyes are open to see the schemes and the traps that the enemy would set for us. It is by means of prayer that we are prepared to face the trials and temptations that await us. And it is by means of prayer that God's grace is granted to deliver us from Temptation. Prayer, dear ones, is not only a means of grace to help us once we have found ourselves in that trap, but is a means of grace to open our eyes to the traps that lie before us tomorrow and the next day. That is why the Lord taught us to pray in Matthew 6.13, and lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. And the fourth sin that prepared Peter to deny the Lord was presumption. In John chapter 18, verses 10 through 11, you'll recall that the Lord had already prophesied that he would be taken captive by the Jews and that the hour of his suffering was now upon him that he might save unworthy sinners. Peter disbelieved when he should have believed. Peter slept when he should have prayed. And he acted with the sword in presumption when he should have submitted to the will of God. Zeal, dear ones, that is without knowledge is presumption in action. Heat without light is presumption. Leaning upon our own understanding rather than upon God's word is presumption. It is presumption to sing man-inspired hymns when the Lord has not authorized them in his word. It is presumption to celebrate holy days like Christmas when the Lord has not ordained them in his holy word. It is presumption to marry those with whom you are not like-minded in the truth and then ask God to bless your marriage. It is presumption to sow the seeds of corruption in your life and then expect that there will be a crop failure later on with none of those corruptions bearing fruit in our lives. It is all presumption. These sins, these four sins that I've just mentioned, I would submit were the occasion for Peter's denying the Lord. And they will likewise be the occasion for us denying the Lord and His truth, whether in word or in deed. Dear ones, let us not be so foolish as to miss the obvious in Peter's fall. Let us be wise and learn by his fall how to avoid denying the Lord in our lives. Our second main point, then, is the sin of denying Christ in Mark 14, verses 67 through 71. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. As we consider the sin of Peter in denying the Lord, let us be careful that we do not miss something about Peter's character here. Peter may have prepared himself for this fall by his pride and unbelief, and prayerlessness, and presumption. But dear ones, Peter did not willingly or willfully turn his back. He did not obstinately turn his back upon the Lord, despising and hating the Lord. For we see Peter acting bravely, though rashly and presumptuously, in pulling out his sword and using it to defend the Lord there in the garden of Gethsemane. We see Peter following the Lord from a distance to see what would become of him and perhaps how he might help him, if nothing else, by way of encouragement and comfort. Although Peter did desert and abandon the Lord with the rest of the disciples there in the garden of Gethsemane, he did not want to deny the Lord. His very presence and being at that spot where he would be tempted was no doubt in part due to his sincere love for the Lord. It's important that we not be harder on Peter than we should in this particular situation. Dear ones, Peter is a a mirror of human infirmity, not a mirror of willful and obstinate backsliding, and rebellion. As we ponder Peter's fall, let us note the degrees of this fall. We're going to look at each of the three denials in this regard. In the first denial, Peter denied the Lord by saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. Mark 14, verse 68. The accusation that was brought against him, which was, and thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth, Mark 14, verse 67, seems to imply that this woman had seen Peter with the Lord as one of his disciples in times past. Not simply one time, as if she saw him one time in the Garden of Gethsemane, but the tense of the verb, which is in the imperfect, seems to imply there were many times that this woman saw Jesus, or saw Peter with Jesus. And therefore, this, this phrase, thou art one who was with Jesus, is another way of saying, you're a disciple of Christ. You're with him. I've seen you many times with him in the past. Peter responds by saying, in effect, I don't know nor understand what it is you are accusing me of. Rather than flat out saying, I have never been with a man, nor am I his disciple, Peter rather seeks to avoid the accusation by claiming ignorance. What are you talking about? I don't understand even what you're asking. But our text states that Peter nevertheless denied the Lord in avoiding the truth rather than clearly testifying of his relationship to the Lord in that situation. Though he did not flat out say, I am not a disciple of Christ, the scripture says he denied the Lord by even asking this question or by implying his ignorance. What's interesting is that Peter had already taken steps of boldness in some sense to identify himself with Christ in using his sword there in the garden of Gethsemane in the presence of hundreds of soldiers and in following the Lord from a distance. There was some manifestation of boldness there in those acts. But now he is called to testify for Christ to a young girl and he denies the Lord. How many times do we see mighty acts of courage in the saints in Scripture just to see them fall in fear very shortly afterwards? I'm thinking of the example of Elijah who stood courageously before Ahab and all of the priests of Baal and before the people of Israel on Mount Carmel in challenging Israel to serve the Lord and to depart from their idolatry just a few hours later, upon hearing the threat from Jezebel, flees in fear, as far as he can, from Queen Jezebel. Previous acts of courage, dear ones, do not guarantee future acts of courage. That's why we must constantly depend upon the Lord and His grace in our lives. We are all so vulnerable and weak. And in any given situation, any of us like Peter might fight at the sound of the thunder, but fall in the fear, fall in fear at the sound of a leaf. That is why we are warned to watch and to pray, that we enter not into temptation, not only today, but tomorrow and the next day, in spite of the victories that we have witnessed by God's grace in our lives today. 1 Corinthians 10.12 continues to implore us, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Do not rest in past victories as if that will secure future victories. Continue to stand faithful. Continue to depend and to lean upon Christ day by day, lest you fall. I would also have you see from this first denial by Peter that it was not an explicit statement on his part that was called a denial, as we said. It was rather simply questioning and saying, what are you talking about? How many times, dear ones, have we and do we deny the Lord by our silence? or by our unwillingness to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ or with His cause. Perhaps we fear that we will be branded as a fanatic. Perhaps we fear that we'll be unpopular, isolated. Perhaps, dear ones, that we fear we will not have the right words to say in that situation that we'll begin talking and, and we won't be able to continue because the very words we want to say will not be upon our lips or in our mind. However, dear ones, let us pray that God would give us the grace to stand for Christ and to stand for His truth. And when we refrain from giving a testimony for Christ in any particular situation, may it not be because we fear man, but rather because we are convinced it is not the right time or the right place to do so. In other words, let us only refrain from giving a testimony for the Lord because we believe there will be greater glory to Christ given in looking for a better opportunity, not because we fear man. Let us look at the second denial. In the second denial, Peter falls into the sin of denying Christ to a more aggravated degree when another young girl points the finger, as it were, at Peter and says, this is one of them, according to Mark 14.69. And I would suggest that the second denial is more aggravated than the first denial for several reasons. First, It's more aggravated because Peter did not flee the temptation he found himself in by leaving the palace of the high priest so as to avoid any further opportunity to deny the Lord in that situation. He did not recognize his weakness or perhaps even his sin that he had just committed. Our text does say that Peter went out into the porch after this first denial in Mark 14.68, but he did not leave the palace of the high priest until after the third denial. Dear ones, it is important when facing temptations to flee them if at all possible, to avoid them if at all possible. Many times we may not be able to do that, that is flee, because it involves our job or our School or education, something that we must be present to do. And we may not be able to avoid certain temptations. But if we are able to flee temptation and do not do so, we are flirting with a fall. This particularly applies to various sins. And I would submit to you sins like pornography or immorality that may be seen in movies or on websites at the beach, or read in novels. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lusts. There are many other temptations that we are to flee. That's the word also there. But we are to flee also youthful lusts. And the best way to avoid temptation, dear ones, is to avoid putting yourself into those tempting situations if at all possible. If we are to pray, lead me not into temptation, then we must certainly not lead ourselves into temptation. The second way in which Peter's second denial was more aggravated than the first was that Peter did not give heed to an obvious warning. In Mark fourteen sixty-eight, it says, In the cock crew, the first time, the cock crew, the Lord had prophesied that Peter would deny him three times before the clock had crowed twice. In Mark 14:30, Peter should have recognized the direction that this was heading. All kinds of flashing lights and whistles should have been going off in his mind at this particular point in time. Here was a warning sign that was for Peter something that he should have heeded and should have alerted him to the dangerous situation that he was in, but he continued in it. Obviously, it was all ordained of God to fulfill the prophecy, but as far as his own human responsibility before the Lord, there were things that he should have done to avoid the temptation. So many times, the Lord gives us warning signs before our eyes and in our ears and within our conscience that we are walking into a field of dangerous landmines as it relates to temptation. And yet we, like Peter, do not heed the warnings of the Lord, husbands and wives, if we allow ourselves to become discontent with our spouse and focus upon his or her weaknesses with such, with much complaint, complaint to ourselves and complaint to others, we will soon be looking to find in others what we think is missing in our spouses. Discontentment, dear ones, in our lives should to us all be a warning. Discontentment should be a warning with flashing lights and whistles going off that we are headed for a dangerous situation because that's where discontentment always leads if it is not dealt with in our lives. For we will seek to fill our discontentment with what pleases us. The third way in which Peter's second denial was a further aggravation of that first denial was that it was the second time the sin was committed within a relatively short period of time and without repentance for the first time that it was committed. It is a grievous sin, dear ones, to deny the Lord, but it is far more serious to do so again and again without recognizing that what you have done is sinful, confessing it as sin, looking to Christ for forgiveness, hating the sin, sorrowing over the sin, and endeavoring new obedience. The fourth way in which Peter's second denial was a further aggravation of his first sin or his first denial was that Peter explicitly declared, I do not know the man. Matthew 26:72, parallel passage to the the account in Mark. I do not know the man. Whereas he first denied the Lord implicitly by avoiding the accusation, now he explicitly denies Christ by disassociating himself from Christ and saying, in effect, he is a complete and total stranger to me. Dear ones, Listen closely. What begins implicitly by way of denial of the truth will inevitably lead to an explicit denial of the truth if the sin is not repented of. How we must be aware of the tendency in our own lives towards self-deception when we claim to be revisiting doctrines we have previously believed and known to be the truth. Yes, we would all affirm that if we had not challenged by the scriptures the error we previously believed, we would not have arrived at our present knowledge of the truth. That is absolutely true. And thank God that God did cause us to challenge the error that we previously believed. However, the warning from Peter's denial to us all is that we can also We can also abuse that and deny what is true and we can begin down that road by implicitly claiming ignorance of the truth and then explicitly denying what is true. The fifth and final way in which Peter's second denial was a further aggravation of his sin was that Peter swore an oath in defense of that which he knew to be a lie. He swore an oath when he knew that what he was saying was false. Matthew twenty six seventy two says, He denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Whenever one confirms the truthfulness of what he says to others with an oath, such as I swear to God, or as God is my witness, it should be done only when necessary or required. Only in particular situations. When we do so unnecessarily, it actually has the effect of calling into question the truthfulness of what we say, as if it were added for the mere effect that it might have on others, not to confirm the truth. If we are people of integrity, in most situations, our word should be our pledge. We should recognize that our reputations, dear ones, hinge upon our words. We come now to the third denial of Peter. And I would submit to you, it is a further aggravation of his two previous denials in that he did not acknowledge the sin of his two previous denials. He again explicitly denied the Lord and he added to his sin a curse according to Mark 14, verse 71. It says there, he began to curse. And the text states this, and what it means is that he not only uttered a single curse, but a stream and flow of curses came from Peter's lips. We do not know what Peter cursed, whether he cursed Christ, whether he cursed God, whether he cursed the one who accused him, whether he cursed some other part of creation. We're not told what he cursed. But he cursed. In addition to denying the truth, he added a curse, which is very, very significant. No doubt to curse God or Christ is more heinous than to curse a creation of God. However, to curse even God's creation, in sinful anger, in order to justify a lie or a sin, is yet a very serious aggravation of our sin. It is so evident that Peter has now fallen into a most grievous sin against the Lord and against his truth. He has clearly denied any relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ at all. Here is a sin that we must consider among the the most heinous that we might ourselves commit or that might be committed against our blessed Savior. What is to become of Peter? What is to happen to Peter? Peter? Well, let us see. And we look at the third main point. The grace to persevere after denying Christ. In Mark 14:72. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Here is Christ. Look at the picture here. Here is Christ being interrogated by false witnesses, being interrogated before these malicious rulers of the Jews and He is standing for the truth and gives a faithful testimony of who He is. And He does so in order that He might die for His people, in order that He might suffer and bear their sins away. He could have remained silent and they would have had no accusation to bring against Him. But He is interrogated and He says, I am the Son of God, that He might go to the cross. But here's Peter being interrogated. And he's denying the Lord altogether. Jesus being interrogated has his people at heart voluntarily suffering for his people. Peter being interrogated has his own skin or hide. He has, as it were, the fear of man at heart. Not Christ. Not suffering for the one who is suffering for him right then and there. What a picture. What a contrast we see. But we are all like Peter. For Jesus Christ went through what he did, not only for Peter. He suffered and he died. He fulfilled all righteousness and bore the guilt of the sins of his people. Those who were chosen for all eternity for the love that he had for them. I would have you see in this verse, that is in Mark 14, 72, that Peter was brought to see how he had denied the Lord and it broke his heart when he realized it. Luke 22, 61 adds an important point of information when it says that after Peter had denied the Lord the third time and had heard the cock crow the second time, it says this, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. The Lord graciously, dear ones, with that look, with the illumination of Peter's mind, with the the crowing of the cock the second time, all of these, by these means, the Lord brought Peter to repentance, and he wept bitterly. It was the work of the Lord. Though the Lord used various means to accomplish it, it was, in fact, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring Peter to that point of repentance. I would have you note, dear ones, a clear distinction at this point between Peter who denied the Lord three times and Judas, or who denied the Lord three times and Judas, who betrayed the Lord one time. Was the sin of denial any less heinous than the sin of betrayal in and of itself? I don't think so. Very heinous sins. And yet Peter was granted repentance and a perseverance in spite of his grievous sin that Judas was not granted. Why? To what must we credit Peter's perseverance? Both Peter and Judas were members of the visible church. Both had presumably been circumcised and baptized. Both were apostles. Both had various miraculous and supernatural gifts. Dear ones, we must attribute Peter's perseverance not to his own strength and ability, but to God's eternal election. To the covenant of grace, and to Peter's being graciously included in that covenant of grace in a way in which Judas was never, ever included. And to the promise which the Lord made to him in that covenant of grace in Luke 22 verses 31 through 32, where the Lord prophesied that he would fall away, but when he was returned and restored, go forth and strengthen. Your brethren. He didn't say, if you are restored. When you are restored. When you return. Strengthen your brethren. Just as he says to us. The promise made to us. That those who come to Christ, he will in no wise cast out. Judas was cast out. Therefore, Judas, though being a member of the visible church, had never come to Christ in the way that is spoken of in that verse. One of the benefits and blessings purchased by Christ for all those who are united by faith to Christ in the covenant of grace is that of perseverance in trusting in Christ to the very end in spite of their many failures and sins. For Peter was never accepted before God on the basis of his own faithfulness or obedience, but only on the basis of Christ's faithfulness and obedience. And so is everyone who sees his own guilt sees his own corruption, sees his own sin and the hell that he deserves, but who looks in faith alone to Jesus Christ as his only righteousness, as his only holiness, as his only merit, as his only life, and as his only salvation. It may be asked, what does it mean that if we confess Christ before men, he will confess us before God? And if we deny Christ before men, he will deny us before God? In Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 through 33. Dear ones, to confess Christ before men implies here in Matthew chapter 10 true faith in Christ. Genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to deny Christ here implies the absence of true faith in Jesus Christ. There may be a profession. There may be an external relationship that one bears to the covenant of grace, there's not actual real union with Jesus Christ established by faith in this denial of Christ here spoken of. Peter was not denied before God by his denial of Christ before men. For he was accepted for all time and eternity in the beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ. The denial mentioned by Christ in Matthew 10 is a denial of belief in Christ, which in some cases can lead even to the unpardonable sin which Judas committed and which is threatened against hypocrites like Judas, who are within the visible church in various passages like we find in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 and in First John chapter 5. Yes, those who are members of the visible church like Judas May completely apostatize from the faith and be eternally damned. But those who are members of the invisible church, like Peter, through living faith in Jesus Christ as their righteousness, can never so fall away and be eternally damned. For Jesus Christ has become their righteousness and their salvation by faith alone. And so, dear ones, He is likewise yours by faith alone. It is not the church that unites you to Christ. It is not your baptism that unites you to Christ. It is the Spirit of God that unites you to Christ, and it is by means of faith alone. Even the baptism of our covenant children, which again we shall witness this Lord's Day, is not our actual union with Jesus Christ. It is rather a sign and seal of our union with Jesus Christ. God graciously uses baptism as a visible gospel to declare to us and to our children his promises that are found in the gospel of salvation. But the promises that are made to us in our baptism are not actually realized in our lives until we are united to Jesus Christ by faith. Let us rejoice today, dear ones, in the many promises, even the righteousness of Christ, even the forgiveness of sins, even eternal life and perseverance in faith and in holiness that are made unto us and realized in us in the covenant of grace. Dear ones, Peter's recovery by Christ is a token of our recovery by Christ from all of the times we have implicitly and explicitly denied Him. And ultimately, our recovery is due to Christ and His obedience and not to our own faithfulness and obedience. And His righteousness, let us never forget, is made our own by means of faith alone. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled this day as we consider the promises made to us in the covenant of grace. O Lord our God, we do pray that thou would cause us to look upon even that which is recorded in thy word today, in which Peter himself, being the one who experienced this, and who very likely related this to some of these are such personal uh, events that happened to Peter, where others perhaps were not uh Around and did not see all that was going on. That Peter, no doubt, was primarily the human agent for relaying to others this very account. Because it revealed, O Lord, yes, the shame and falling, but even more importantly, it revealed the glory of thy grace in restoring and causing Peter to persevere. And that was what, O Lord, concerned Peter most is to tell of the glorious gospel of that covenant of grace. O Lord our God, we do pray that we would be encouraged even to look to this example today. That we would avoid, Lord, those sins that would lead us into temptation. That we would, Lord, learn from previous falls into sin how to avoid temptation. And That, Father, when we fall into sin, grant us the grace to look to Christ as our righteousness, as our forgiveness, as our life, as our perseverance, Grant to us true, we would pray, true repentance, that we would hate our sin, despise it, sorrow over it, turn from it, and walk in new obedience. Our Lord and our God, we praise thee and thank thee for thy truth. Impress it upon our minds and our consciences this day, that it may be ever-present with us when we face temptations. We ask, Lord, these things in the Lord's name. Amen. Amen.
1: Please be seated. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale,